everyone. I'm Melissa. I'm Michaela. And I'm Tertha, and this is the Bird Brain episode of Winging It. Have you ever thought about how a bird knows what species it is and how it learns to behave like a bird? We did, and we found out that it's not a completely innate process. It's called imprinting, and it's a fascinating and important process that birds use to learn. So imprinting is a form of learning in which an animal gains a sense of identification by fixing its attention on someone or something with which it has visual, auditory, or tactile experience with. When does imprinting occur? So birds visually imprint on their parents shortly after hatching because they do not automatically know what they are. However, this imprinting stage varies from species to species. The imprinting allows them to identify with species for life and understand appropriate behaviors and vocalizations for their species. That's very interesting. How does imprinting work? It is very interesting because imprinting most obviously occurs in the case of precocial birds. There are precocious birds like ducks and chickens that have um, to be able to move with their parents and be relatively independent compared to the hatchlings that stay in the nest and are cared for by the parents. So there's an evolutionary reason for imprinting. If you can recognize your parent, they can protect you from predators or the elements and to help you find food. Exactly, it is mostly a visual process. The parent is usually the first thing a bird, baby bird sees. Visual exposure to the parent bird gives newly hatched birds a signal that the feathery thing nearby is mom or dad. The intermediate and the medial mesopolium in the forebrain of the birds is the site of memory for feathers of a visual imprinting stimulus. You mentioned a feathery visual stimulus. Does that mean birds only imprint on other birds? No, birds can also imprint on a variety of different objects. A study was conducted in 2016 on ducklings imprinting on the relational concept of the same or different. Dr. Martino, who is one of the authors of this study, mentions that imprinting tends to occur in fowl, which is chickens, ducks, and turkeys. Dr. Martino, can you explain why we see imprinting in this specific group of birds and how this compares to songbirds? And one of the things that unifies all of those birds is that they are uh, nidifugous, um, which is to say that when they hatch out, uh, or precocial is another word that sometimes used, when they hatch out of the egg, um, in some very short amount of time, they're then able to live a sort of more or less independent life. And there, there are different ranges of that. You have something more like a duck where they hatch out, they take mm, eight to 12 hours to dry off and turn into a little fluff ball. And at that point, they can walk, eat, swim, sort of look after themselves, but they're quite vulnerable. So they're, they're out in the world, they're not contained in a nest like a, a songbird baby would be for several months without feathers, eyes closed, completely unable to move, but also safe and secure and in one place. They're, they're wandering around in the world, but with no experience, um, with, with not necessarily knowing what they should be eating, not necessarily knowing what they should be running away from, um, and they need to stay near a parent or parents. That makes sense. There is a limited amount of time the bird has before it becomes mobile and needs to be able to recognize its mother. The imprinting window varies based on a number of factors. It can range from two days to two weeks. We normally see it occur within a few days. We mentioned earlier that these birds can imprint on birds as well as objects. Why does this happen? It's often described as being the first object that they see. It's a little bit more complicated than that. It's the it's 
the moving object that they see most within the imprinting window, which in the natural environment is always their mother. In the lab, we have to be very careful about um, you know, what we expose them to, how we hatch them, what they can see. We do a lot of the work um, preparing for these experiments in the dark because they can really sort of attach themselves to, to quite a wide variety of, of objects. Um, and part of the reason for that is that um, evolution hasn't given them a very strong reason to have a limited range of things that they can learn. That's very fascinating. Imprinting seems like it could be a complex process. Do you know what mechanisms are involved, such as the oxytocin released when human mothers bond with their newborns? Some work into this has suggested that the imprinting process is actually a form of operant conditioning with an internal reward. So in normal operant conditioning, we uh, present the animal with something that we've associated with the reward. Um, the animal knows that if it carries out some behavior, then it will receive the reward and that in turn um, over time builds up that oxytocin response to say it's, you know, it's, it's pleasurable to do this thing in advance because I know that the, the reward is coming. And some work, and this isn't completely definitive, has suggested that within those first few days, there's a mechanism in the brain that starts to release rewards of oxytocin um, onto the duck whenever it responds positively to the substrate of its imprint. So once the maternal imprint is established, then when the duck moves towards the mother, it gets a little jolt of pleasurable reward and that creates a, a enforcing cycle for, for, the, um, for the imprint. Wow, so there's a sense of positive reinforcement that the bird receives, and that drives the imprinting process. So if birds are capable of imprinting on all of these different objects, can they also imprint on humans? They can imprint on humans. We know that when birds first hatch, they don't know what they are, and they visually imprint on their parents. This enables them to gain a sense of species identification. So when they imprint on humans, they're identifying with humans for life, right? What does that mean? It means they will struggle to identify their own species because they lose the ability to learn specific behaviors they would normally pick up from their parents, such as vocalizations. So not only are birds unable to communicate with humans, they are also unable to communicate well with their own species. Even if a bird is imprinted on humans, it doesn't mean that they always relate to people. Sometimes it just means they lose a fear of humans and that lack of fear can be very dangerous. There are many instances where birds are rescued and held under the direct care of humans. I wonder how imprinting is prevented and if the birds are impacted once they're released back into the wild. Well, an example of this is the case of the baby barred owl. Exactly. A baby barred owl fell out of its nest and fractured its left humerus and had chorioretinitis or inflamed eyes. And the Carolina Raptor Center actually helped treat his injuries while ensuring that human imprinting is minimal on the raptor. So we actually have Jim Warren with us today from the Carolina Raptor Center. So Jim, what specific measures do you guys take to prevent birds from imprinting on humans? Well, everything from our staff wearing camouflage when we go into an enclosure that again has a little one. And this only happens, this could go away after several weeks, right? After several weeks, so there's a period of time where the bird really has gotten big enough and it knows what it is. But for those first few weeks, and particularly first few days, we literally would wear a camouflage net that goes over us. It makes the staff person or the volunteer who's ever feeding and caring look like a bush. And then we use puppets. We have puppets of the various species that we see. Just like Sadly, the puppets are made from adults that did not survive. But That's very interesting. 
Is there any difference in the fitness of birds that are raised in the wild versus those that are raised by humans? If they come back to us, we're able to check. And actually, every now and then we get a bird that is coming back to us. I mean, it could be years. We've seen birds that we released and come back 10 years later uh, for whatever reason. And they typically are doing very well, particularly with the eagles that we've released. And we can monitor them and see where they are, that they're going to good fishing grounds, that they're able to fly these huge distances. Right. Then there's also a risk of the surrogate adult birds harming or rejecting the baby birds. Some birds might not even take care of their own baby birds and perceive them as being a threat or a competition for food. On the other hand, you have barred owls, which are known for taking care of baby birds that are not even theirs. So do you know why some of the birds might reject the babies? Well, sometimes their own, if there's multiple in the nest, it's like the biggest survival of the fittest, right? And a lot of birds are born over a series. So the first egg laid typically may be the first egg hatched. And it may be in maybe a day or two between hatchings. And so one bird may be a little bigger and it's fighting its siblings for food. Uh, we've observed that. And you just have to kind of watch and observe and make sure that food is getting evenly distributed. And then sometimes it's just personality. You know, it's not every adult is meant to be a parent or meant to be a foster parent, just like every human probably doesn't have the, the maternal or the paternal instinct. We also spoke to Laura Nazinga from the Wildlife Center of Virginia about why imprinting prevention is so important. And we heard a special story about a surrogate great horned owl that teaches baby owlets how to be the best owls they can be. So my name is Lauren Etzenga, and I am the outreach educator at the Wildlife Center of Virginia. So my job essentially is to do the outreach education side of the Wildlife Center's outreach programs. So what that means is that I um, have access to a captive a collection of animals that are ambassadors. They are not able to be released to the wild, but they help to share their stories. Um, and stories are very, very valuable when uh, you are teaching people about conservation because people can relate more to stories than they can facts and data usually. Since explaining the stories of animals is a way to help people relate to critters that benefit from our conservation efforts, Lauren has a great metaphor for visitors to the Wildlife Center when explaining how imprinting can be harmful to birds and other wildlife. And generally, when I'm talking to kids about this idea, I try to make it a little less harsh, right? <laughs> but what I like to tell them is, you know, if you were plucked out of your nest with your parents in your house, and you were raised by an alien, you'd probably learn how to do things the alien way. And if you were put back into your neighborhood, you might not know how to talk to your neighbors, you might not know how to ask for directions, you may not know how to get your own food and things like that. So for imprinting, um, you know, it can go both ways. There can be aggression that's associated with imprinting, absolutely, which is kind of terrifying in wild animals who are literally built to be able to defend themselves. Um, and, you know, it can also be in the quote unquote friendly way, um, but that's also very detrimental to that animal's life because likely if they are friendly with people, that means that they are not capable of surviving on their own in the wild. The Wildlife Center of Virginia is home to a special great horned owl named Papa Go. He can't be released into the wild, but he can still teach great horned owlets how to be an owl and the very important lesson of not getting too close to humans. 
So Papa came to us um, as an adult bird who was injured. And unfortunately his flight is no longer silent. So for an owl, they have very special um, feathers that are uh, built to create turbulence in the air before they move through it so that they can move through and glide through the air silently. And that's helpful for them because they are nocturnal. So at nighttime, it's very, very quiet. Um, and when they're out hunting, obviously if they're making big wing flapping noises, everybody will hear them. Um, and so because of Papa's injury, he uh, does not fly silently anymore, which means that he would have a great disadvantage for hunting in the wild. But his new job at the Wildlife Center is to raise our orphaned owlets. So he every year raises um, great horned owlets and um, <laughs> he likes his job a lot because he gets a lot of extra food because baby owlets eat so much food. Um, and he basically, because he is the wildest animal that you could get in a captive setting because he's non-releasable, he um, raises very, very wild babies, which is exactly what we want. Lauren told us how Papago reacts to humans and why that's an important lesson for great horned owlets to learn. When you go into an enclosure with Papa, he is clacking at you. He's got his feathers up. He's looking big and bad and angry. And he's not a bird that you would want to mess with. And basically, he teaches that to all of his babies um, without the risk of them imprinting or habituating to people. Uh, owls specifically have a very high risk of being imprinted on people if they are not housed and cared for um, appropriately at a young age. And so um, having a surrogate, especially for the great horned owls, is um, a, a wonderful resource for us to have. The owlets seem to be learning their lessons well. Lauren also told us how the owlets react to humans. Papa, I'll tell you what, he raises the fiercest babies though. If you go in there and he's got babies, all of them are clacking at you and they're, you know, dancing back and forth with their wings out, looking big, bad, and scary. And you're like, you're doing a really great job, Papa. That's awesome. The great horned owl surrogate Papa and the Wildlife Center are doing great jobs using imprinting to teach birds how to act like their own species and preparing them for their life outside the Wildlife Center. It's great that even though some raptors can't be released back into the wild, they can still help other birds as they are rehabilitated and grow up to be the birds that they're meant to be. Today we learned that birds have been found to imprint on other birds, humans, and even inanimate objects. There is a specific mechanism that birds go through in order for them to gain a sense of species identification and realize what they actually are. There are also several consequences of imprinting. Therefore, it is very essential to take precautions to ensure a successful reintroduction of the rehabilitated bird into the wild. We appreciate everyone for talking to us about how the imprinting process happens and why it's an important aspect of a bird's evolution and conservation. Thanks for joining us on this fascinating imprinting journey.